Well, good morning to each one. It's a joy to be with you. It's a joy to open God's Word with you this morning. It's a joy to worship this morning with each one. Well, as you know, we finished our series in the last time we preached. So I, I have elected to preach several standalone messages, and it may be a short series, but we're going to want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. And our text is going to be taken from the first 12 verses of Matthew 23. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders. They themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. All their works they do to be seen by men. and They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at the feasts, the best seats at the synagogue, in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for there is one, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you, we ask for your grace. We ask for your Holy Spirit to give us an understanding of this passage that is right in your sight, that is truthful with your word, that applies as you want it to apply in our lives. We pray that your, your name and your will, your will would be done, your name would be exalted and glorified, and that you be praised here. We ask this all in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Well, maybe you ask why this passage of scripture i have been i have been thinking about this passage of scripture for probably a year and a half to 2 years and uh needless to say i had some interruptions in preparing so i feel like i haven't prepared as well as i want to be prepared the title of this message is the danger of hypocrisy the danger of hypocrisy the problem with hypocrisy is that we often don't recognize it in ourselves. 
but we readily see it when it's in my brother or my sister. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus is here not just trying to point the finger, but he's trying to get us to take a look at ourselves. And the truth is that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, religion is hypocritical. Let me say that again. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, religion is hypocritical. It is not going to do us uh, any good to be applauded and praised by men. It's not going to do us any good to uh, put on a show of coming to worship God. If in our hearts we really are not at one with Him, we're at war with Him. As Christians, we go through struggles, even after being born again, after being children of God, we go through struggles. And yes, I know what it is to feel like I'm not at peace with God right now. I'm struggling with this thing and I can't get through it. If you're a believer, God has changed your heart. He's given you a new heart. Yes, then you need to come before the Lord and worship. But if if, if you're in your heart are putting on a show this morning, this scripture tells us that it is vanity. And so this morning as, as we look at this, I want to look first of all at the true character of a hypocrite. Secondly, the call for the contrast. Thirdly, the Christ-like servant. So let's look first of all. By the way, the title of this is The Danger of Hypocrisy. So let's begin. This, this passage introduces us by saying Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to the disciples. Jesus is on his way, ultimately, as we come to the latter part of Matthew, to the cross. As he's going through the land of Israel, multitudes are thronging to hear him because of the things that he teaches that are truth, and because of the miracles that he does and the, the way people are raised up and, and their, their, their crippled legs are healed and their blind eyes see again and their, their, the mute talk and the deaf hear. And we know all the stories that, the, that miraculous, miraculously speak to Jesus being the Messiah, him being the one sent from God to show us the way of salvation. And ultimately, the religious leaders of the day who should have been all over this, they should have been all about Jesus. They should have been behind Him 100%. Were some of His darkest and, and most uh, blatant foes. They were right in His face. They were behind His back. They were around all the time trying to undermine his word. Notice Jesus is speaking to multitudes and he's speaking to disciples. It's an open air. It's a, it's a, it's a place where the multitudes just gathered casually. They just wanted, some people just wanted to hear. They just wanted to see what this is all about. 
There were others who were dedicated. They were following Christ because they wanted to know him and to know his word and they wanted to know the truth. So he's speaking to both here. So this word goes out not just to believers, but to unbelievers. And I want, to, I want us to note that if, if you're living in hypocrisy today, what you portray and what you say and what you, your life looks like on its face is not the content of who you really are. You're in a dangerous place. As a, as a child of God, if you are hiding sin in your life this morning, You are in a dangerous place because you will suffer much loss unless you repent. As one who has been estranged from God, who is not his child, you are in an even more dangerous place because hypocrisy is going to only earn you the wrath of God. I think we don't hear that enough today. We kind of just assume everybody kind of has their skeletons in the closet. But unless, friends, unless we're honest with the Word of God, I think we're going to find ourselves wanting to hide from Him more than we are coming to worship Him openly and truthfully and honestly. Let's begin. So Jesus speaks to the multitudes and to the disciples. And the first we notice is the scribes and the Pharisees. And who were these people? The scribes were religious leaders who knew the law and were so instructed by the law that they had a profound effect on God's people for good because they were rightly able to interpret what the law said. They were even able to say how it should be applied. They studied every nuance of the language. They knew exactly what was to go where. It's as if they could cut it all out and put it together the way it ought to be. They were very strict in adherence to the letter of the law. These men were were all about letters, and if you think about it, their work was to write the Word of God. It was to have the next generation's Bible, if you please. So they understood letter for letter, word for word, line for line, what the law said, and they, they, they wrote it that way. So the next generation got it right. God instructed them that's how they were supposed to do it. But they went beyond the meaning of the law to the letter of the law. The Pharisees, they were also students of the law, and they formed. they were a group of people that formed... After the Jews returned from exile, remember they went to Babylon, God sent Nebuchadnezzar in and he took them out of the land of Israel and they were exiled in Babylon. After many years, 70 years of being there, they returned back under the rule of Nehemiah and Ezra the scribe was the the leader, the, the, the spiritual leader of the day. The Pharisees if you listen, if you read that story again, you would understand that even as Nehemiah was back there rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, these people were already starting to intermarry with the people of the land. And it was, it was abomination to God. And 
And, and Nehemiah was angry with them. He says, what are you doing? You're bringing the idolatry right back in here. That's what God just took us to Babylon for. And you're going right back to it again. And if you read uh, Nehemiah 8 there, you will find that Ezra stood up and reads the law. They gave the meaning of the law. And the people fell on their faces and wept and repented. There's a huge revival there. After that period, the Pharisees formed because they were students of the law, but they, were, they took the path, rather than going to the Word of God and getting word for word, line for line, they took strict adherence to outward performances. They wanted to make sure everybody kept everything. And they would even go beyond what the Word taught with rules, with, with rituals, and, and, and they were trying to put in place a, a form of obedience so that they would not lose what God had said. Started out to be a good thing. Ended up to be many, many laws that they had that were extra biblical. Did not, they, they misinterpreted the word of God with their laws and with their rituals. Brother Terry's been going through some of that. In, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, Jesus came and he started setting this straight. And he says, you've heard that it has been said, but I say to you, you know, he goes back to what God originally intended. And that's where he is here. These people, they were both supposed to be Israel's under shepherds. And they were to be the ones who would reveal Christ to them. If anybody should have known Christ when he came, it should have been them. The whole Old Testament pointed to the fact that Christ is coming. But their hypocrisy made them unable to receive him and believe on him as Lord. Listen, it's no different for us today. All church leadership, all leadership in the church must be surrendered to Jesus Christ. Because he is king of kings. And Lord of Lords. And his return, his return is going to be that which separates those from the, the true from the untrue. So we too are looking for, for, for the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. <clears throat> but let's notice, first of all, their true character. Their true character starts out with their desire for preeminence and control. They sit in Moses' seat. They sit in Moses' seat. What is Moses' seat? God gave his law to his people in Deuteronomy 33. And let's just turn there briefly. In Deuteronomy 33, we understand a bit what, of what Jesus is saying here. Deuteronomy 33, and we're going to begin in verse 2. And he said, let's, let's begin in verse 1. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand came a fiery law for them. Yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. 
They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. Moses commanded a law for us, a heritage of the congregation of Jacob. And he was king in Jeshurun when the leaders of the people were gathered and all tribes of, the, of Israel together. So God appeared on the mountain and he thundered the law to the people on the mountain. And what did the people do? Immediately the people said, we don't want to talk to this God. We're, we're afraid of him lest he breaks out upon us and, and kills us. God said, they're, it's true. I'm angry with them because they are sinning while they're coming to me. They're hypocritical in their, sin, in their lives. He said, I want, he, he gave Moses then the law and its interpretation. He says, you set before the people and you administer the law. Administer my word to the people. The Levites were to minister the worship. Moses was to do the ruling with the law. And he was to oversee what God had said. To make sure that it was, it was done as God wanted it to be done. Notice Moses wasn't there for himself. Moses was there because of God. Because God loved these people and wanted to bring them to himself. Moses was the man between God and the people. But because of this, Moses was greatly honored by the people. All the people of Israel looked back on Moses as the friend of God, the one who talked face to face with God, the one who came to the people and his face shone because he was in the presence of God and then came to the people with the word of God. They honored him, they revered him, they respected him. These men wanted to sit in that same place and say, we're going to be Moses to you today. That's what they wanted to do. Their, their, their lives were nothing like the life of Moses. Needless to say, they had no direct contact with God, and yet they wanted to be there as God's leader in the life of the people. Notice, let's, not only did they want to sit in the seat of Moses, but let's notice their abuse of this power. Verse 3, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not. You see, the works that they did Tell the truth of who they are. You can look at Moses, and yes, Moses made mistakes. But Moses walked with God. Moses was obedient to God. Moses loved God. They, were, they wanted the power that Moses had, but they did not want to submit to the God Moses submitted to. You see, the power that Moses, the, the authority that Moses had was given to him because he submitted to a greater authority. True leadership must always submit. True leadership must always submit. Leadership is not about someone standing up and being strong. It's about someone knowing how to follow their leader and helping others to do the same.
Jesus says, what they say, observe and do. They're telling you things that are out of the law. And just because they have abused it does not mean that you just disregard the law of God altogether now because you see hypocrisy in their lives. What they're telling you that accords with the word of God, that do. Observe it and do it. Let's, let's look at another example of this in Revelation 3. In Revelation 3, Jesus, Jesus here is speaking to the churches. This is the church of Sardis. And to the church, and to the angel of the church of Sar- in Sardis, write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God, of God and the seven stars. Again, the seven stars were the seven churches. The seven spirits of God are the the constitution of of the Spirit of God. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come to you as a thief, and you will not know the hour I come upon you. Let's notice what he says here. He says that, I know your works. This is God looking into the church and he's saying, I know what's going on. I know what you're doing. I know the things that you're you're thinking and doing and the, the activities that are going on here. You have a name out here that people say you're alive. Uh, brothers and sisters, I hope we don't have a name out here that says we're alive, but it's dead inside. I, I don't believe that for a moment. But let's never try to promote that image when death reigns inside. When, 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 when life is in the congregation, it goes out. It comes out. It bubbles out. It springs forth. When It's dead in the congregation. You have to push a good face. You have to have the the beautiful building and the flashy sign and the the exciting programs to keep everything flowing in the right direction. But if life is in the church, it's because God is in the church. And if Christ dwells in the church and His life is there, there, the testimony that comes out It won't be perfect. We're not perfect people. But life will bring their testimony out there that there's life here. That God lives here. That God is reigning here. His word is having its way here. He says, I want you to strengthen the things that that remain. He's telling the, 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 the church, he says, I don't want you just to abandon me because things are not as they ought to be. Those of you who remain alive, those of you who are still spiritually vibrant, those of you who come to Christ with needing everything that He has and giving everything up to Him. He says, I want you to be watchful and I want you to remain. 
I want you to be watchful and I want you to strengthen what remains. He said, because I've not found your works perfect before God. And I think there's not a one of us that could say that he's found our works perfect. But he tells us that even in the midst of a church that is dead, we're still supposed to be there to promote life. The life of the Lord Jesus Christ will always draw the believers together. The truth of the matter is, when he says, I'm going to pull its can- your candlestick out of its place, the history would say that the true believers that were in that church, they came together somewhere else. They may have split up, but they found other true believers where the life of Christ was in the church. And they were assembled around that life. Brothers and sisters, if, if you're a child of God this morning, there's nothing you want more than the life of Christ in your soul. And if the life of Christ is in your soul, you want to do everything you can for it to be stronger. There's nothing more important in your life than that true life from Jesus Christ is in you. A person like that will not have the problem of preaching something they don't try to practice. Notice Jesus says, observe and do the right things. Even though they're abusive, we're called to go on. Jesus is very clear. We're not to follow their example. Notice he says, but do not do according to their works. You're supposed to do what they tell you from the Word of God. But don't follow their example. And this makes it difficult because you lose respect for somebody like that. But we're to do our best, even when life seems to be waning in a place like this. He says you're to respect, you're, you're to respect the Word of God. You respect the life of God. And you're to follow that which is true, but not follow the example of a hidden evildoer. Notice, they want to be leaders without being servants. Obedience to God, folks, is always our call, regardless of what the leadership is doing or saying. The leadership should always be about our following the Lord Jesus Christ and our obedience to Him. And if they're not, that's what we need to be about. That needs to be our heart. That needs to be where we are. That's how we'll know Christ. And that's how we'll be ready for Him when He comes again. That's how they would have known Him when He came. It was no different for them than it is for us. Now, not only, not only this, but let's notice their hypocritical living. They say and don't do. They... When a person's teaching is about the Word of God, is in accordance with the truth, we have a right to expect that the direction of his walk should correspond to the preaching and teaching of the Word that he 
he's involved with. We have a right to expect that, and that's what Jesus is saying. Those who should be teachers and preachers of the law, they ought to be endeavoring to walk in that very law because when I preach a sermon, brothers and sisters, it's for me first. This is for me. And I hope that a little bit of the goods that's in this passage will spill over onto you and you'll get blessed with it. And that's the way it ought to be. If I'm standing here trying to tell you how to live your life and I refuse to follow the same path, I'm a hypocrite. We ought to expect that. We ought to hold that in high regard. When we see faithfulness in our brothers and sisters, we ought to have high regard and high respect for that living because that's the work of God. Even when we are imperfect, we should always seek to be changed more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. In James 1, in verse 25, Verse 21 to 25. He says this. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word And not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes his way, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one shall be blessed in his deed. He is simply saying that if your heart is such that you want to preach and you want to tell everybody how to live their lives, but you look into the law of liberty, the perfect law of liberty, and you know that you are not walking in truth and in honesty, and you walk away and say, ah, well, nobody knows it'll be okay. I'll be all right. You have entered into something that is called hardening of your heart. The truth of the matter is that when we look at the perfect law of liberty, it ought to, and we see our faults and our needs, it ought to break our hearts. There ought to be something that says, Lord, help me. I need your help. And if that's your, your call and that's your plea this morning, folks, go to Christ. He is the one who helps He is the one who cleans us. He will do so according to his word. He's promised it. And Jesus is looking at these men and he said, you've looked at this law. You've scrutinized it. You've taken it apart and put it together. You've done it your own way. And you look at the law now and it means absolutely nothing to you. Folks, that's what happens when we harden our hearts to the truth. Word of God means nothing to us. In fact, we become abusive with it. We, co- we start bringing about extra-biblical traditions because we want an external obedience that fits our thinking precisely. 
Listen, I'm just going to tell you, the church is a messy place. We all come here with our sin in the background. We all have it. And we all come because we have faults and we have needs. But we come because we have someone who knows what to do with that and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But it's not in our place to cover it up. Neither is it in our place to abuse others by trying to draw a line of perfection for them and complete liberty for myself. In fact, this is the mark of a false teacher. And we, we don't have time to go there. If you go to 2 Peter, you'll find that these men come, they preach these stirring messages, but their lives are filthy. Their lives are are despicable. They're running after the filth of this world. And if you're going to follow Christ, folks, repentance is the place where He brings us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the place that He brings us to, and it's hard and painful at times. But it is good. When the when the Gentiles turn to Christ and the Jews in the, act, in the book of Acts weren't believing it, they finally came to the realization, so God also has given to the Gentiles the gift of repentance. That's a gift to be able to turn from our sins, folks. That is a gift. Thank God when you're tore up about your sin. Thank God that He didn't let you go and harden your heart. Thank God that He brought you to sorrow over it. Because that's a dangerous road. It's a terrible road. It's a destructive road. And it ends in death. <clears throat> Not only did they destroy themselves, but they were destroying others in the process. Notice it says they burnt, they they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear. In fact, when you go to the book of Acts, you will find that one of the things that they did when, they, when, they, when this controversy came up about should we circumcise the Christians that were Gentiles and should we have them come down to the Mosaic law and obey some of these, some of these ordinances, they said no. These are not things that we nor our fathers were able to bear. Meaning that there was a, a hypocrisy that had come over something that God intended for good. And he said, we will not drag our Gentile brothers into this. We all know what it was like. And we want them to never have to, to, to face the hypocrisy of the religion that is actually what Jesus is talking about here. It's a performance that totally masks the unrighteousness in the heart. They'll put burdens on somebody else. It, it, your, your hardness of heart will be, cause you to be unfeeling and unthinking and uncaring about your brother or sister as long as you can keep your face looking good. You see, that's what they were doing. 
They laid these, these burdens on their shoulders, never willing to bear them with even moving one of their fingers. Not willing to, to, to lift a finger, as we would say, to help them. Not willing to, to put myself in their shoes for a minute. Not willing to walk beside them, if you please. But hardening our hearts brings about this coldness and deadness. These burdens are often seen by hypocrites. It's just a suffering for righteousness. I mean, you know, these people, they deserve it. They're such sinners. But they are really the burdensome false practices of false teachers. They're the, they're the burdensome practices that bring about only a show, only a display that doesn't even glorify God. In fact, as we go on a little further, not only do they bind these burdens on them that they will not, they will not help their fellow men with, but verse 5, we note that they... They believe that their rules, their extra rules and their extra regulations bring about a sort of spiritual superiority in their lives. They make broad their phylacteries, it says. And a phylactery was simply this box, this leather box that they wore on their, on their a lot of them wear on their arm or on their, on their forehead. And inside this little box is... Is, is some pieces, what well, would have been pieces of um, parchment, and it had written on it at, uh, certain parts of the law of God. Now, this was a literal application of Deuteronomy 6, and we don't have time to go there, but in Deuteronomy 6, he says, God tells the children of Israel, you shall bind them, the law, you shall bind them upon the the." the Let's go there. Deuteronomy 6. Let's turn there because I thought I had it by memory, but I don't. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's look at what he has to say. Because he was trying to bring about uh, what Terry was talking about this morning. They forgot what God had actually said. And he was trying to bring them to remembrance. Verse 6. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Also, let's, let's look at verse, uh, chapter 11, Deuteronomy chapter 11, and in verses 18 to 20. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that the that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, 
like the days of the heavens above the earth. So we notice God wanted them to to have his word so prominent in their lives that they would remember it. And it would, you know, if you had a box on your forehead, you were conscious that it was there. Every time you look up, that thing's right there. Or if you went to do something and that thing was strapped to your your arm, you, you understood that you're supposed to remember the law of God with everything that you do. That's not a bad practice. But they made a show of it because they made these things big. They started enlarging them so everybody could see that these are godly people. They're going to remember the word of God. God also commanded them to put borders or fringes on their garments. To make their garments long so that they were modest. And what did they do? They enlarged these things. They they make a display of them. It's again something that started in obedience to God, but just was made a grand display of in, in, a, in, a, in, a, fake, in a fake obedience to God. In fact, as they put these burdens heavy to be borne on men, let's note something that Christ says in stark contrast to these things. We'll hold our finger here. Let's go back to Matthew 11. And in Matthew chapter 11, begin in verse 27. I'm going to back up to verse 25. That time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows the Son. I'm sorry. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, all these religious things never dealt with the issue of sin. And while you bind burdens upon men's backs with with grievous things to do, you never touched the issue of the heart. Jesus says if you're going (coughs) to... If you'll come to me, he says, and you'll take my yoke upon you, and you'll learn from me, he says... You'll learn to bear the yoke of righteousness as He bears the yoke of righteousness. He says, you will find rest for your souls. I'm just telling you there's no rest in a legalistic system of bondage that appears pious and righteous. 
I don't care what kind of system it is. It could even start out as obedience to the Lord. But if it becomes a legalistic face only appearance, all that we care about is that everything looks good, everything smells good, everything operates the way it ought to, we're good. But there's a there's a there's a heavy weight on the soul in the midst of that. Folks, Christ came to deliver the soul from its sin. And when you're delivered from your sin, you will throw off the things that are wrong. You will have a conscience that is sanctified to know what right and wrong is. And you will be digging into the Word to understand the truth. And it will be a means of coming to more and more and more righteousness. But it's a dependence on Jesus Christ and not on myself. Ultimately, the legal bondage is dependent upon you and I to keep it up. We've got to do it all. In fact, this is the weakness of the, of the law, if you please. The law is perfect and right and good. It's God's law. It's just. But we're weak. We don't keep it. We can't keep it. We need Christ who kept the law for us and gave us His righteousness. Gives us His ability to walk in holiness. I'm going to have to move on. It's, uh, it's getting late. But they, they perform this all to be seen of men and it brings a heavy bondage upon their lives. That's what Jesus is saying. They love to be honored. Verse 6. They love the best seats at the feast. The greetings in the synagogue. The or the best seats in the synagogue, the greetings in the marketplace. To be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. You know, this characteristic is a characteristic of one who is absorbed with themselves. It's a self-absorbed religion. All they can see in their practice of their religion is to glorify themselves. Self-aggrandizement. It makes me look better in my image to the public. It makes me look better in front of the preacher. It makes me look better in front of my mom and dad. Or it makes me look better here or there or in front of this person or before these people. I want to ask you this morning... What really drives you to follow Jesus? He was talking to multitudes here. And he was talking to disciples. And some were coming. For all, they were all coming for all various reasons. What drives you this morning? What, for what purpose do you follow Jesus? If you follow him. You know... If you're following him because it makes you look good, 
that's going to be discovered one day. If you're just putting on certain thing, aspects of his life because you want to be associated with these kind of people, he's going to reveal it one day. If not in this life, in the day of judgment. And folks, that's going to be too late. In fact, <clears throat> is preeminence more valuable to you this morning for yourself than serving? Is preeminence more value to you than serving? Jesus said, I come to you as one who serves. He was a leader of all leaders because he served. That's why he says here, that he who is greatest among you shall be the servant. So you want to you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? Start serving. Start serving. Start humbling yourself. You know, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Unthinkable in his day. And Peter even says, Lord, you, 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 no, no. This isn't right. I need to be washing your feet. He says, Peter... You don't understand right now, but what you will thank me afterwards. Because what I do, I show you an example of how you should live. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a true follower of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, it's going to bring you to, in some fashion, in some form, in some way that God works in your life to be a servant. If service is out of the question for you, then Christ is out of the question for you. If you're too big to humble yourself to your brother, you're too big to humble yourself before Christ. There's no way around it. This means that many times it's going to be uncomfortable. Many times it's going to be difficult. Many times it's just going to flat get nasty to deal with our flesh. But folks, what's the reason we're doing it for? It's for the glory of someone else. And that's God. That's the Christ who saved us. That My life is about Him now. My service is all about Him. He is bigger than any problem I'm going to face in trying to serve my fellow men. Notice he says, that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. He says, don't seek for the place of teacher, of father, or of rabbi. There is one who is your father, and that is God. There's one who is your teacher, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, he don't, he's not saying that you should not respect those who teach you in the Word and preach the Word of God to you. In fact, later on, Paul will say that we're to honor those. We're to, we're to, we're to respect the authority of God's Word, and we're, to, and we're to appreciate the ones who give it and preach it. But what he is simply saying is they are not ultimately your spiritual father. If a leader says, you have to follow me in order to know God, 
Or you have to come my way in order to really see God. You better run. That's a false teacher. That's a false preacher. A true shepherd, a true under-shepherd should be saying, here's Christ, I want to show you the way to Christ. And this morning, Christ comes and He says to these false teachers and these false preachers, unless you become a servant, you don't have any part with me. In fact, the greatest problem with the false teacher, the greatest problem with the hypocrite is to own their guilt. To own that they've been a guilty sinner. You know what the greatest motivation for a true child of God is? I was a sinner and He set me free and I'm thankful. I love God and I love what He did in my heart and I love to serve others because of it. In fact, Jesus said this is a commandment that he's giving us, that we should serve. We shall be your servant. Whoever's greatest among you shall be your servant. And he exemplified that. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is a great paradox of the scripture, of the, of the kingdom of heaven, that those who humble themselves they give up whatever prestige and power and, 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 and good that they might have in and of themselves. They lay it down for greater riches in Christ Jesus than what they ever laid down. In fact, Jesus says you're going to lose your life here to gain it there. Or you're going to gain your life here and have it all, be the king of it all, and lose it there. I want to ask you this morning, which are you? Have you laid yourself down for your king to serve him with everything you have? Are you holding out on him? Because you have something in your life that you deem more precious, more valuable than the riches of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Let's look at it the way God looks at it, folks. To look at it the way God looks at it, this stuff is going to burn up. It's going to perish. And we hold to it like it's the last dearest friend we have. But folks, we've got to give it up. Jim Elliott says, a man is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he went to South America and gave his life for Christ. Listen, he doesn't ask us to be Jim Elliot. He doesn't ask us to be somebody else. But in your life today, He's asking you, He's calling you 
to serve Him His way. We lay down ourselves. We take up a cross, the instrument of our death, and we follow Him. This goes against every grain of a hypocritical nature. But listen, we lose what we seem to have to get the riches of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we cannot lose. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Thank you, Lord, that his word to us is so clear. The warning is so vivid. Lord, I pray that each one of us in our hearts today would take it seriously. Father, give us grace to humble ourselves before you. To receive that gift of repentance. The turning from our sin and turning to Christ. I pray that if somebody does not know you here today, Lord, that today their hearts would be melted in your presence. That they would humble themselves before you. And they would acknowledge your lordship and would repent of their sin. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone who who is a believer who is struggling with issues in their lives that they know are not right with you and they've persisted in them for a time. Lord, I pray that they would have no rest until they find their rest in you again. That their their hearts would be brought to brokenness and repentance. Their lives would be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ again and and they would renew their fellowship with you, Lord. I pray, Father, that If there's anyone who's been a church member for many years and has never known you, Father, I pray that you would touch their hearts even now. By your Spirit, they'd be awakened to newness of life. Lord, I pray, deliver us from the life of hypocrisy, that our lives may be true, We may be holy. We may be your people. For you alone are worthy of all the glory and honor and praise. Therefore, Father, I pray, bless this congregation. Bless them with your peace and with your rest, with your joy. Cause your face, Lord, to shine upon them. I pray that they would know what it is to take your yoke upon them. And to learn from you. To be meek and gentle and lowly. And to receive rest for their souls. I pray, Father, that you would keep us for your praise and glory. It is in your name alone we pray. Amen. Thank you. May the Lord bless you.